beginning transmission 122, March. Five under, Andy Wilson Monk. This week's episode of the Funny Books and Firewater Podcast. Tenders I'm too sober for this shit. <laughs> like, I wish I would have caught that. <laughs> I wanted Todd's profound like, love for his bath caddy. Like, I really wanted to capture that. That's depressing. I oh. know. The missed opportunities of life. I know. Anyway, so do you want to tell us more about your bath caddy, Todd? No, I'm good. No. <laughs> the moment has passed. I know it has. That's why I wish I caught it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a beautiful moment, y'all at home. I'm sorry you missed it. It was really great. They logged back in, and all of a sudden, I hear this conversation about, well, I have this bath caddy, and it is so worth the money. And I'm like, why did I not record that? Why did I not have that? That would have been amazing. Well, well that came up because earlier Todd went to the bathroom, and I just heard him talking in the bathroom. I'm like, oh, yeah, Jonesy's probably in there because I have a chair in there that she likes to sit on. Uh, but the real reason that extra chair is in there is sometimes when I take a bath, I put my laptop on it and use it to like watch Netflix or oh, gotcha. whatever. Mm-hmm. But she loves laying on that chair. And at first I was just like, what the, who the fuck is he talking to? <laughs> Cause I go in there, I don't see it. The light is off and everything. So I shut the door, I flip on the light, I lift the toilet lid and I go up and, uh, and then there's Jonesy just staring right on me at the countertop going, Oh, Hey there. So yeah, so yeah, I proceed my cat loves to come in and look at me while I go to the bathroom, and it's really awkward. It's just like it's, it's a little strange. Enough. It's a little yeah. unnerving. The first place I moved into when I moved up to Logan, they had a cat, and as I would get ready in the morning, the cat would be like get right in front of the sink and stare at me. And the only way mm-hmm. I really discovered to get it to go away, it's a little bit mean, but it did the job. Is I when I wore cologne at the time, is if you take your cologne spray and just spray it in the butt with that cologne <laughs> it does two things one the alcohol and whatnot in the cologne against the glands of the cat's butt mm-hmm. it's not a fan so it's dragging its ass around everywhere but it bolted okay. out of the room but it also hated me from that day forward gotcha. so i had to keep my door closed but i would spray cologne around my door frame and stay out of it unless it shit in there just to get back at me but gotcha. it was fair i'm like yeah i understand the other fun one is that uh the dog is has such separation anxiety. Like you'll shut the door and you'll see these little paws poke out mm-hmm. underneath the bathroom door. It's like, why? <laughs> why won't you let me in? What's going on in there? They're creeping me out, dog. Yeah, for That's sure. It's me time. 
Well, welcome to episode 122. Uh, this is the second week of the Andy Wilson month. Happy birthday, Andy! Yay! Yay! Thank you, everybody. Um, we are doing March uh, by John Lewis and co-written by Andrew Aiden. Aiden? Aiden. I'm going to go Aiden, yeah. Aiden? Okay. Sure, Aiden. Aiden? Okay. Um, I'm pretty certain he co-wrote it, because I remember seeing that somewhere in the credits. I want to make sure that I'm not making that all up, but... And this is uh, essentially an autobiographical book from uh, John Lewis, uh, Senator John Lewis, we should say. Um, and it's not uh, Congress, Congressman, Congressman representative. Representative? Oh, yeah. representative. It's not yeah. every day yeah. that you have a comic book where the quote on the back is from Bill Clinton. So that's interesting, <laughs> you know. You know, it's not often that you get something with Bill Clinton on the back cover, but if you ever want to see something with a senator who wrote the foreword, go ahead and check out your copy of The Dark Knight mm-hmm. Returns. Or is it The Dark Knight Strikes Back? I can't remember. Senator mm-hmm. Pat Leahy of Vermont, who's also in The Dark Knight. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. Scene. The Joker threatens him with a knife. That's fun. Uh, huge Batman fan. And uh, showed up, uh, wrote the wrote the preface for Frank Miller's book. So there you go. The other one, this is not nearly as cool as having, you know, a senator or a former president write the back of a book. But the forward on, I think, is the second volume of Southern Bastards is uh, written by a Carolina Panthers player. And uh, my buddy Christopher's dad is their coach. So, of course, I sent him a photo of, hey, That's check cool. this out. He thought it was pretty awesome as well. So, you know, there's there's that as well. So, anyway, weird forwards and prefaces aside, uh, yep. we're getting into some history and we're getting into some politics. So, But we're also getting into 1960s politics and also, unfortunately, now current politics. So we'll consider that being forewarned. Um, if you're an asshole... You know, or a Nazi. This is not the episode for you to listen to. Really, none of them really are. So, you know, <laughs> you just go I don't away. Think I don't think you're part of our demographic, and that's fine. I'm okay with that because um, I'm also surprised when Nazis can read. But that's a totally different issue. Um, but we will start this month out, uh, or this week out, introducing our panel um, with the birthday boy himself, the man we all came to uh, read books for this month. We have Mr. Andy. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Andy Wilson. You can find things that I write over at graphicpolicy.com. I sometimes occasionally do a podcast with Adam on the Board as Hell podcast. Hi, Adam. Adam. Oh, hey. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and coming very soon, uh, the Hall of Greatness uh, website and podcast. I will have more details on that in a future week. Then also in uh, in Utah, I'm going to be running for congressman uh, in uh, 2020. We have Mr. Todd. Hey, you know. I'd vote for I'd you. I'd vote for Todd. Thank you. Yeah. You're not in my district. <laughs> Damn it. You know, I thought about this podcast being the reason why I can never run for politics. And then I take a look at the current political climate <laughs> and I'm like, nah, oh, I'm fine. Oh my gosh. Did, did you see the story today about the guy running in Virginia? No. Who, uh, He's uh, he's been tweeting about Bigfoot porn. So, oh, <laughs> oh has he? Yeah, oh, I've seen memes about that, but I didn't know what it was referring to. Yeah, he's he's into uh, the the Bigfoot erotica stuff. So there you go. Oh, also that's... campaigning with neo Nazis, but you know, Bigfoot porn. That's the that's the better hook generally. So there you go. <laughs> so Todd, actually, Bigfoot erotica would be fun. It was read by the guy who's the voice actor for Deckard Kane from Diablo Three. <laughs> Stay a while and listen. <laughs> so Todd, you can definitely run for office if there's Bigfoot fuckers who are running for office. Uh, but only as a Republican. That's right. But only as a Republican. 
I am in Utah. That's the only people that run. Yeah, I'm Todd. You can find me here. (laughs) On the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. Future 2020 congressional delegate for the city of Woods Cross. And I also do English class hooligans with my better half, Amy. Hi, Hi, Amy. And then my buddy, Brian, who's also on the show. Hi, Brian. Hi. Hi. Hey. Hi. How are y'all doing? So, at um, English Class Hooligans, we read all the books that are considered classics, and it's like a voluntary book report, the stuff you should have been reading in high school or college, and we determine whether or not they still deserve to be classics, or if they should be demoted. Fuck Dickens. Fuck Dickens. We agree. Good grief. So... (laughs) Yeah, that's me. Cool. Speaking of a Dickens fucker, Mr. Adam. Hey! Aw, you guys care. Um, Dickens fucker. Dickens or Dick out. Yeah, whatever it is, pull it your boat. Dick's out for Harambe. No, Dick's out. That's called being versatile. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, can get, I can get behind that, literally. Yes, you um, do. Hey, what's up? I do stuff with uh, Big Shiny <laughs> Robot. <laughs> well, I'm sure Lowe's getting the shout out every single episode. Uh, the Border Cell Podcast, like we mentioned with Andy. Hey, Andy! Hi, Andy. Hi everybody. Uh, and of course, uh, Cinema Queens with our good friend Chris. Hey, Hi, Chris. Chris. Hi, Chris. And we keep on forgetting to say that I've been, I also uh, moderate our Grinder Scruff and Tights account. Yes. Oh. With the Z. Tights with the Z. Tights with the Z. Eliza. Trademark pending. No, do we find out that someone actually claimed it? No, there was like a, there there is like a a super like a geek no, no, dating no. website. About no, no, it was in in a storyline in like a DC. I can't remember which DC book it was. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's so, what it was. technically speaking, we we can prove that we said it before we read the book. So that's right. <laughs> well, we, well, that that is true as well. But uh, anyway, and then of course, uh, you know. On every superheroes dating app, we have Mr. Maya. I am on every superheroes dating app, but but no one swipes left, right? What's which is the direction they don't give <laughs> right. a shit? Oh, right, the left don't give a shit. Yeah, I always swipe swipe left on. Me. I swipe right for Maya. Uh, but other places where you can interact with me, where you don't swipe left, I swipe right too. <laughs> for those that swipe right, uh, I've can heard I get you swipe, a huzzah. I've heard you swiping left late at night. <laughs> <laughs> Our vents are connected. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Maya and Instagram at the Mr. Maya. Let's talk geeky shit. The end. Okay. I've been putting together a list of I call it band names, but it also could be song titles and or uh, album titles of things that we've either said on the show or things that I've misheard. Uh, so far, the list is much like the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Sith lords are easy. The Alderaan suburbs. Uh, Darth Vader. Darth Vader hates sand. Bigfoot erotica, and for those who swipe left. That's my list so well, far. Wait, what was the first one, the chickens one? Much like the chickens, that's from Elmer. That's, that's, the, that's th- the spiritual successor and sequel to Hungry Like the Wolf. <laughs> if you're hungry like the wolf, those chickens are going to die. Like, that's what's going to happen. Dude, I love Elmer. Uh, Andy, have you read Elmer before? No, but I listened to your episode, so I'm going to oh have my to God. read this. You need to read that yeah. book. It's really good. Much like the it's chicken. like ten bucks or like seven bucks on Amazon or something. Yeah. We actually got a bunch of shout outs on that episode for some reason on Twitter. I'm not exactly sure why, Sweet. but yeah. Tweet hair. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Much like the chickens. Much like the chickens. Much like the chickens. That actually sounds like a, a weird podcast name too. I don't know what that podcast would be, but that sounds like something. They get cluck out. But anyway. <laughs> you can also find me on the Much Like the Chickens, uh, the chickens app podcast. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
start making up sub podcasts just for fun. Um, and hey, I'm Brian. I'm a sound designer based out of Southern California. Um, I do the uh, English Class Hooligans podcast with Todd. Um, and uh, right now, I you know just working on stuff. Most of it I can't talk about, so that's how it goes. Fuck Dickens. And fuck Dickens. There you go. Uh, yeah, so let's, okay, we'll jump into this book. So um, this book, basically autobiographical uh, from Congressman uh, John Lewis, uh, sort of has a framing story of him getting ready for, I believe it's the inauguration of um, Obama. Uh, Obama. That is correct. Yeah, like they don't out, out say it, but it's pretty obvious that that's what they're implying. And well, well, no, no, it, it tells you. Does the plot tell you? Yeah, that's what I thought you. Okay. And it has, it has the date is July twentieth, oh, okay. two thousand nine. Gotcha. January twentieth. Yes. Um, and uh, and so it's him going about his day, getting ready to uh, to go to this inauguration, and then him telling the story of uh, his involvement in the uh, in, with Martin Luther King and uh, with uh, the civil rights movement and all sorts. And then and I mean even just sort of him growing up and things like that. Let's jump in with uh, drinking games. And now for sports. Listen up, sports fans. Prepare yourself and your liver for this week's drinking game. Remember, it's only a game, and a dumb one at that. So don't take it too seriously. And above all else, please drink responsibly. I'm going to go with mine, because I just described what all this is. Uh, mine is called Pardon Me, and it's every time the story is interrupted by someone, take a drink. Because he'll be going on the story, and then he'll get a phone call, or someone will come into his office, or whatever, and he'll pause for a moment and talk to them, and then, you know, the story will continue. Uh, so uh, that is my drinking game. Uh, Mr. Maya, do you have a drinking game role? I do have one. Um, I'm actually changing the name of mine. It, okay. it's, only, it's only for a brief section of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I originally came, called it what came first, but now I'm going to call it or now I'm going to title it Much Like the Chickens. Okay. <laughs> uh, anytime chickens or eggs are mentioned. I like it. Oh, you're going to be so drunk. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> for, for those, like, 30 or 40 pages, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's pretty rough. Um, Andy, do you have a drinking game roll for us? Yes. For the Bible tells me so. Anytime someone quotes from the Bible, anytime a preacher is up preaching, uh, you got to take a drink just like Jesus told you to do. <laughs> for Jesus. Uh, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Uh, Mr. Todd, do you have a drinking game? Yeah, mine's called um, Don't Rock the Boat. Jesus. That's right. <laughs> so every time the main character comes across and you've got people going, you know, you just need to don't rock the boat. Don't try to change anything. Just keep your head down. Go ahead and take a drink. Okay. And Mr. Adam, do you have a drinking game roll? Uh, mine's called Be Like Gandhi. So every time they bring up Gandhi or the fact that they're going to be, and the words non-violence, uh, take a drink. Fantastic. Uh, well, then... Fantastico. Uh, then I guess I mean, we'll jump into our traditional... Uh, oh, we're going to do it differently now. Uh, so we're going to do a vote. We're going we're gonna to count to three. We're all going to say <laughs> yay or nay, yes or no, whether or not we feel that it is worth your dear listeners' hard-earned time and money and effort to go hunt this book down and buy it. Um, you know, be at your local comic shop or, you know, at Amazon or whatever, um, and read this book. So, on the count of three, one, two, three, yes. Yes! yes. Okay. Um, ah, if ah, you had said no, I would have called you a racist and we would have been done. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like okay. Log off, we're yeah. done. Yes. 
the, the, it is very easy to have your white guilt make you feel like you need to Ugh. appreciate this book, but it's actually a very enjoyable book in general. I actually like it. It's done really you know? well. Yeah. Um, in fact, like, I guess there's what, three volumes of this, Andy? Correct. Yes. Yeah. I don't know, there wasn't much marching in it. I, I <laughs> we haven't gotten that point yet. Need more you. marching. There's yeah. a lot of sitting down with no marching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Worst book ever. I was told that would be marching. They keep talking about marching. Stay away from the action. If people do things, just don't do yeah. it. Yeah, it's true. It is a comic book about non-action, technically speaking. Uh-huh. That's a very interesting... Kind of like, I think, the tag, the movie, which is a really weird connection, but the movie tag is very interesting because it's an action film with no guns, which is kind of amazing Dude, if you think about I it. I really dug that movie. Yes, that but this fun. is a comic book about non-action. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. Very interesting. It's about sitting. Yeah, sure. it's about sitting. It's a comic book about sitting. It's about comic sitting. Book is about sitting. Yeah. That actually it's puts this in an incredibly interesting category of its own. That's really fascinating if you think about it. I kind of love that. That's actually kind of great when you put but it in that weird two, cut. It would be marching. We have to wait for volume two or three for marching, actual marching. Yeah, that's true. I would, I would very, assume volume very, three. Very, very much yeah. marching. Yeah, because I'm assuming it, it ends up with the march of Selma. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which uh, he yep. was a part of. Yes, he was, which is, is part of the, the walk that he does with um, David Letterman on his interview on that show as well. Uh, I need to start watching that, actually. I've heard such good really things good. about that. It's you really I, should. I, I've, I've only it's watched really that good. first episode, but well, I really well, well, liked it. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've picked it, it, and shaped. It made me miss him a lot yeah. more than I already oh, did. Oh, for sure. Well, I, th I also, I mean, this is a total side note on this, but I also, I think that's actually a really good format for him, though, because A, he gets to kind of pick whoever he wants to actually interview, mm -hmm. and he gets, it's far more long form, it's far more conversational. It's not as rushed, and it's not like he actually kind of get a chance to sort of actually have a real conversation with these people, and, you know, it's very fascinating. Like, I've picked and choose, I haven't watched all of them in a row, I'm not going to say that I have, but of, of the several that I have watched, I've enjoyed all of them. Um, hey, hey guys, remember when we had a president who spoke about yeah. fifth grade reading it's, level? <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember. I remember. You know, I, I really do enjoy Letterman, and with that show, he um, you can definitely tell he gives a crap because there's a lot of yeah. times on the Letterman show, it's it's not that he was phoning it in, but you could tell it's like, and our next guest is this one person, Kristen Stewart. Here we go. Well, and, oh, and I, nobody's I, talking anything either. It's not like yeah, that's oh, right. Uh, we got to roll the clip of The Rock's new movie that's coming out. Like Colbert did an awesome interview with The Rock, but it, there was so much artifice in it. Where it's like, man, yeah. I would have loved to just sit and listen to the two of them actually talk to each other for like forty minutes. I think mm -hmm. that would have been really cool. Yeah, but yeah. they had to talk about skyscraper, so it's like, oh, okay. And you don't have to throw it to the commercials right. or. There's yeah, that one. That's great. And you also get the sense, I mean, because he picks his guests very deliberately, um, there are, I think there are, are issues, like social issues and issues in arts and things like that that he highly believes in. And I, I, you almost get the impression that when Letterman was burned out of interviewing Kristen Stewart for the 5,000th time, you got the in impression that, I mean, at least from watching these new episodes, like he had bigger things that he would like to be doing. And now he has the opportunity to do those. You know what I mean? He, mm -hmm. he wanted to be... I mean, because he's, exactly. he's putting people to the forefront who are doing bigger, better things in the world, you know, than just trying to hawk, you know, a clothing line or their latest TV show or whatever, you know, which is kind of kind of a cool little element of it. So anyway, side side shout out for the David Letterman show as if it needs any more publicity, but whatever. Does anybody, I mean, Andy, do we have anything else that you think people should know before going in and reading this? 
Uh, I don't think... read it out loud. <laughs> yeah, don't read it out loud. <laughs> there are words yeah, in here. Probably that fair. Would, yeah, get banned. I I think it's interesting that it's in black and white, and I I don't want people to think like to ever feel rip off, ripped off when they're like, oh, this is in black and white. That's cheap or whatever. Um, so I, I think that's like just something to to bring out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is. This is a historical memoir told in comic book form to make something that is very complex, very simple. Uh, and and that's that's essentially what it is. So yeah, the history of the civil rights movement through the eyes of John Lewis, who was there. Yeah, who was a key part of it. That's mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to get any more straight from the horse's mouth than, than this, which is actually kind of awesome. And, and I think the other great thing about this book is there is a beauty in... in you get the impression that a it's, it's part of his history but also it's a way of telling the story for in a simple way for generations to sort of understand it in an easier light and kind of um like really connect with it like you get rather like I, it's like sort of like the weird chickens thing where i mean we'll, which we'll get into when we get into much like the chicken much like the chicken just a new thing much like the chickens you you get a personal insight into the individual and and how like and you know really how their life was affected by all this and and their involvement in it um and their fears and and you know and, and that like you don't get a you're never gonna get a full 100 percent sense of what it was really like to be there but you you get a better understanding of the people involved rather than you know just statistics and you know whatever the history books write down kind of thing um, I also think it's really interesting. You know, you sometimes hear the medium is the message. Mm-hmm. And the fact that John Lewis decided to make a comic book out of his life rather than having someone write a traditional, like, you know, tell all political memoir mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. give his life rights away to Ryan Coogler to make a movie or something like that. Uh, he's like, mm-hmm. no, let's make a comic book. And uh, he talks about that in one of the moments where. Uh, during some of the early civil rights work that they were doing, uh, they made a pamphlet about civil rights in a comic book form so you could read it. Yep. And I think that's what he's really trying to do. He understands that, like, I was a part of this moment in history. I'm not going to be around for that much longer. And 10 or 15 years from now, it's going to be really important for the next generation of kids to be able to understand what this was all about at a very simple level. And I think that's that's what he tried to do. And mm-hmm. and I think that's just, first of all, amazing that you would think to do that, but uh, also really well. It's also kind of, as a comic book fan, I mean, for me, I find it a little bit flattering that someone of that importance historically would want their story to be told this way. You know what I mean? Like, it's not uncommon to see people who are comic book artists tell their stories in the comic book form because that's the medium in which they use. But to have someone who is, I mean, really that important to our politics to want their story to be told that way is kind of flattering. You know, at least, you know, even if he did write a tell-all book as well, and this was just something else he wrote on the side, but he he put his heart into it, and there, I mean, it's it's a very important book and very interesting that way. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty awesome. And so many political memoirs are just bloviating mm-hmm. and stupid. Like, yeah. and they've got terrible titles like "Decision Points" uh-huh. or you know something like that. And it's just like, oh come on. Yeah. It's like, nope. It's a comic book. It's called March. Here you go. Yeah. This is this is where I grew up. This is how I grew up. This is why I came to these decisions. This is what happened and when it happened and who did what and when and how I met this person. And you know, it's 
it's still the facts, but it's, you know, it, it still is peppered with the personal details that make it. And it comes across so personable yeah, as well. Completely. And you're like, I get this person. And it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah, you also get the impression, because I mean, like, a lot of the big portion of the story, he's telling the story to um, younger generation, which is probably part of the reason why this book is written the way that it is. And I mean, you get the impression that he's the type of guy who you walk in his office, he's not going to talk down to kids. He's going to be really matter of fact and tell how it was. And you know, I mean, like he's not, he's telling the important details of it, but he's not sitting there like, a lot of people have a tendency to talk down to kids. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And like, he he definitely comes across as the guy who's like, no, this is how it is. And you're old enough to understand and you should understand this. And you know, there's no need to pull punches from you. So... Cool. Well, we're going to start to head head into territory, uh, spoiler territory if we uh, keep talking too far. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, We will play our uh, our little ditty for our intermission. We'll play an ad for a lovely other show on the Hello Sweetie Podcast Network. And then we will see you on the flip side. If you have yet to read this week's book and would like to read it now, press pause. Go ahead. We'll wait. Hey, we're Rebecca and Charity. We get together every once in a while to talk about food and our mental health journeys. Join us on Spoonful of Podcast as we discuss such compelling subjects as cinnamon rolls, depression, European Twinkies, ADHD, what's a kalashi, and more. Tune in every two weeks to follow along with the Tasty Podcast for the healthily mental. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to hear us every other week. A proud member of the Hello Sweetie Podcast Network. Spoiler alert. Flip. Can you really spoil history? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got people that goes like, oh, don't tell me how Titanic is. Well, I mean, and, and there are details in there that, like, I didn't necessarily know in which order they happened. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, one of them, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it in just a second. But, uh, yeah. you know, one of them, I, I do have a weird, weird personal connection to something that happened in this book. Um, and uh, and, I didn't, and I, didn't, I didn't realize that. Know, the connections around it, so it was very interesting for me to read that section of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess just jumping into sort of summary. So uh, he's from what Alabama yeah. originally? Troy, Alabama. Uh, Troy, Alabama. Yeah. Um, you know, very poor black community. His parents are farmers, um, but he was very connected to the chickens. He had named all of them, and he would take care of them, and he would sort of do slight experiments. Is not the right word, but he would try you know giving hens you know eggs uh, even if they hadn't laid actual eggs so they would you know keep the chickens alive and he was very kind-hearted that way and you know would really wanted to kind of be grow up and be a preacher thought that was going to be where his calling was going to be um and uh you know would preach the chickens and things like that and a lot of that stayed that way until he went and ended up spending a summer like he went with his aunt and uncle he spent a summer in upstate new york and realized that you know the blacks in the south did not have it the same as they had it up north and that was mm-hmm. sort of his first um eye-opening experience as to uh you know how things were uh you know different between uh you know and how segregation was still a big thing and things like that so um, a part of that he's got this whole car ride he went with his uncle up to the north then they talk mm-hmm. about there was certain gas stations they could or could not go yeah. to yeah. they brought their own food but in part it also is like if we don't go to we can't stop here and there's like some ominous looking rednecks going on yeah but even recently this um reminded me on top gear it's a few years mm -hmm. old now but there's this one sequence in top gear and what it is it's a car review show it's a bunch Mm -hmm. of british guys who are just having a laugh at people but they do this whole sequence where they're in the deep south and they take their cheap cars and they try to write um offensive inciting messages on the car 
like Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton is the best president ever, and just did mm-hmm. a few other things. They get ran out of the city and the yeah. state. They get legitimately scared. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying mm-hmm. to watch. They they really get terrified, and they they they're pulling into a gas station while they're filling up. Someone says, "I've got some of my kids coming over, and they're just going to take care of you." And they flee. They mm-hmm. legitimately flee. Mm-hmm. And this was done past five years. Yeah. So, and you see right here, it's like, oh, you know, if some people try to go, it's like, oh, well, that was in the past. We're not that way anymore. Bullshit. Ugh, yeah. That is, it still rings so true. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, I lived in North Carolina for three years and I was more in a, oh, a more urban area, I should say, I guess. Um, and so... I didn't see it quite as much, even though I was in the South, but as you got into more rural areas, you did see it a little bit more. I, I never felt like North Carolina was quite as bad. I felt like that was sort of closer to the, uh, maybe because it was North Carolina, not, I mean, in South Carolina, I didn't think it was too bad as well. But the fact of it is, is that I'm a white guy. So, you know, what's it, I mean, like, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to run into those issues there, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. So, um I'm trying. I'm trying not to leave too much of it out, but we'll. I mean, hopefully you, you all read it. Um, but uh, so he ends up going to college to become a. Uh, his intention is to become a preacher, and he ends up uh, getting involved. Um, like, with uh, he starts seeing the importance of actually, rather than just preaching the gospel and only talking religion, seeing the importance of talking about social political experiences as well. Um, the benefit of that for uh, his people. There's an actual term for what does it call it? it calls it like social justice. But it, it, it was social preaching or something to that effect. There's a yeah. term that he uses a couple times. One of the people who was doing that at the time was Martin Luther King Jr. And so eventually, this leads to him getting the opportunity to meet Martin Luther King Jr. And then he ends up working with a few different groups in colleges. They and was they, called sorry the social gospel. Social gospel. That's right. Thank you. I knew there was a phrase for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and that was sort of a thing. Um, that that's also a point in time where they um, so he starts forming some groups and joining some groups um, to start working on uh, uh, political change and things like that. And that's where he talks about I think the uh, the comic book uh, about Martin Luther King Jr. and Montgomery and uh, talks about uh, Gandhi and where they start uh, putting around the concept of nonviolence and things like that. And he starts joining these groups and so they end up planning to do um, a sit-in at a lunch counter that uh, doesn't uh, serve uh, blacks at the counter. Um, and as, you know, they're going through this process, they, uh, you know, talks about them getting jailed and, and how, you know, when they're all jailed, they were all excited because they're actually doing something and they're making a point. Um, and, uh, you know, and it sort of ends up with, uh, you know, them, you know, just getting to, what is it sort of, I mean, they're still working on integration. They're not quite there yet, but they've gotten the, governor of Alabama to a point in time where he's sort of sitting there like he I, I think he agrees behind closed doors that he's against segregation but um, but uh, you know they kind of force his hand to make him say that he needs to um, you know integrate as well um, and uh, that's sort of where this first book ends did I, did I miss anything major there no not uh, just the part about the uh, did you have the, like, the part where they were like practicing beating each other up and calling each other the emperor oh, yeah. Is ways to oh yeah. So basically, they they all got together and they had to take on the role of the oppressor and the person being oppressed, so that they mm-hmm. would react violently when people were calling them or beating them yeah. up, doing things. And, and, and Kofi were like, "You know, I can't do this." He's like, "I'll do everything yeah. I can to support you, but I cannot be a part of this." And then uh, the part where they they do the, they do the sit in, and the police conspicuously don't show up 
while like the the white gangs come in and like beat the crap out of them because they're black and yeah. leave. And then when they're all on the ground beating and bloody. That's when the cops show up and arrest them and send them to jail for, um, you know, for for this this nonviolent protest. Well, and, and it's interesting. I think one of the things I think is interesting to point out about that is that when those people who can't do it, it shows that uh, from the book's perspective, it's not that they weren't believing in the cause. Well, they just do, they, it was they that, couldn't be nonviolent. They didn't have the self-control yeah. to not be violent. They, they, you know, I mean, they, they couldn't not fight back. And they had enough self-awareness to know that, like, hey, I'm not going to help the cause any if you put me in there because I'm going to lash back out kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, so I'm just going to start with my weird personal connection to this mm-hmm. book. So they talk about how they're planning their uh, sit-ins, and then the Greensboro sit-ins like happened like a couple days before they were originally going to do it. Um, uh, I worked at a theater company in Greensboro. Uh, it's called the Alliance Theater Company, and at the time, that Woolworths, where that counter was, was being turned into a civil rights museum. And we were originally scheduled to put on a show um, about a family who ends up participating in the Greensboro sit-ins. It's a play called uh, North Star. Uh, not highly produced very often, but it's about that whole subject, and I ended up sound designing that. The interesting thing about that was is that we actually had a bunch of the stools from that original counter that they had loaned us as part of our production. And so we were supposed to originally open this production in conjunction with the opening of the Civil Rights Museum. The Civil Rights Museum, for budgetary reasons and a bunch of other things, was severely behind, and we still had our schedule. So we opened in, like, January. I don't... I, I think when I moved out, they still hadn't opened yet, but hopefully they have now. I haven't looked into it. But that was the original intention of doing it. So, like, I actually got to, like... I didn't sit on one of them, actually, to be honest with you. I didn't have... I, I felt too... I felt it was too important for me to sit on one of the stools, but I did touch a couple of those stools because it was an interesting piece of history that, like, to have these things there as a set piece, I thought was very interesting, and I wanted to be a part of it. The other interesting thing that was one of the hardest sound effects I've ever had to create, and it was one of those things that, like, I recorded it, I put it in the show, and then I deleted it off my hard drive because I didn't want it. I didn't want to be in a position where I ever had to use this again, is we needed the sounds of the crowd yelling racial slurs at these people to be played through the speakers around them. And... I don't want to record it, and luckily, none of the white actors in the show wanted to record it. And so, what we ended up doing is we had all the actors in the show, um, all the black actors in the show, we recorded them shouting things that either they had been called or that they had their family or parents or grandparents who were around, you know, the civil rights movement had been called as well. And so that's it was a weird catharsis for them. At least that's what they told us. But like, as the white guy in the room recording it, it was one of the most uncomfortable feelings i've ever had in my entire life like that is the epitome of white guilt but so yeah so that was just my weird interesting like personal connection to that little part of the story mm-hmm. you know and reading that part where you that is that is amazing the um in the book where they're talking about preparing for that so they're having each other trying to um break them you know yelling epithets mm-hmm. and whatnot and getting in their face and just trying to make them break their cool that probably made me feel the most uncomfortable. Yeah. In this whole book, yeah. I was just going, oh, I just, yeah, the white guilt just really starts piling on. I don't know. This might be coming one of those books whenever, you know, the Black Lives Matter thing's going on and people say, all lives matter. I'm like, read this and then let's be more careful yeah. of how we say that. Yeah. Well, and the best metaphor I've seen about the whole Black Lives, All Lives Matter is like, Yes, of course, all lives matter. But it's like if you're in a neighborhood and there's a house on fire, that mm-hmm. house matters a little bit more right now because it needs to be dealt with immediately. Yeah. Yes. It's like you're not going to go put water in a house that's not burning. So, yes, of course, all lives matter. All lives need to be respected and taken care mm-hmm. of 
but we need to look and see who is being systemically targeted by Nazis and, and in some cases, you know, the law enforcement in this country. Right. And that's that, that you focus on that problem, that issue. Well, you can still respect everyone else's lives, but you have to look at what's the crux of the problem right now and fix that. No, it's a really good point. I like how that. Well, the way works. I kind of had to explain it to an old white guy I work with who was, you know, trying to have one of those conversations and it started veering off into a conversation I didn't want to have. But he started kind of talking about how it, it was more about gay marriage and whatnot. But like the point I had to make to him was, um, it was like, he's like, oh, yeah, suddenly all, you know, the gays want to have all these rights and whatnot. I was like, or it's all in our face. I'm like, no, 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 it's not in your face. They're not demanding anything. They're just asking for equality. They don't want more of anything. They just want the same amount. I mean, they just want it to be fair. And like, that was a big difference. And that was sort of where I shut him down, luckily, because it was one of those things where it's like, it, it's the same. I mean, it's on, on top of your point, Adam. It's like, it's just trying to bring these groups that have been oppressed to the same level as everyone else and just making it a level playing field. Um, and that's the thing I don't, I, I think people don't necessarily completely understand that. I, I don't think that they, well, I will say, I think people who are against these things or, or, or the all lives matter kind of thing think that it's, there's not enough room for everyone, you know, in the party. Just because someone else gets rights does not take away yours. Life's not you zero know, like sum. That, yeah, it's not a zero sum game. You know, you suddenly, you know, are, you know, giving gay people, you know, um, the right to marry suddenly doesn't mean that your marriage doesn't exist or you can't get married or your kids can't get married if they're heterosexual or whatever. It just means that people who are in love can get married. That's all that it means. It doesn't mean a damn thing to you, so calm down. And that's where I think a lot of people sort of, they, they think that someone else gaining something is, is their own loss and I think that's where a lot of that confusion and maybe blind hatred for no particularly good reason comes from. Well, and for me, it's not you know, we, we talk about white guilt and I think that's like a tip of the iceberg, mm -hmm. but for me, what this just comes down to is like a basic sense of empathy. Mm -hmm. Like, can you imagine living in someone else's skin, in someone else's experience and being like, what must that be like? Uh, the, the easy thing for us as a, a bunch of white guys is we, we can stop imagining that and we can walk away from it. The only time we ever have to feel uncomfortable about race and people yelling the N-word at other people is when we're having discussions about racism. And, and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, and then that, that's the essence of what, uh, you know, what white privilege is, is that we can walk away from those conversations. If you're, if you're black, you face a different bar in a lot of in a lot of cases um uh and you know it, it, the same if you're lgbtq um i i won't speak for adam uh and i know you've got a story about this but i don't uh, but oh, you know one of, yeah. one of my friends <laughs> um who lives in dc right now um she recently got a job at what she thought was you know a liberal nonprofit. And the very first day on that job, heard from one of their HR people, uh, you know, some some anti anti gay rhetoric, and uh, and she's told me that like she's afraid to walk down the street in D.C., one of the most liberal cities in America, holding hands with her girlfriend, and it's like, what what kind of a country do we live in, where people feel unsafe living in their own skin, living just a normal life that we take for granted and that that just can't be the case so adam you have a story yeah so this though as we record this this happened last night but as it comes out it was a week ago 
So my boyfriend Clark was visiting and he had to go home because he had to take care of his dog and he works early every day. So I walked him out to his car and gave him a kiss goodbye and it wasn't like make out gifts. It was like, hey, you know, I'll see you later kind of thing. Give him a mm-hmm. hug. And as I'm doing that, this car is like driving by and it goes like, and then this goes past, it goes really slow. I was like, oh, great, this is going to be fun. So then anyways, they park, I would go out to him and out of this car, this guy is probably in late 40s, early 50s and his little, I'm thinking it's his girlfriend, I don't know, she was in her 20s. Um, get out and like start loading their trunk. So I live in a, ga- a gated apartment complex. So I go in the gate around the side of the fence, and all of a sudden you know, I, I hear, you know, I go, "Fuck you, faggot!" This guy looking at me. And what's funny is he waited until I was inside the gate to say it, and then also made sure that his girlfriend was between me and the fence. So I was like, "Oh, you're you're, you're really courageous." But um, so my response was to do a Z snap, and in my gayest voice say, "You know it, hunty," which I, I can't do right because it was in the moment. Um, but yeah, so one thing in this book that really, really drove home for me was the, the part where they're, where they're, um, you know, saying all the horrible things to him and they're beating him down and like saying, doing the whole nonviolent thing because I'm a very nonviolent person and with the way this person reacted to me, you know, last night, I can come back with a smart ass response. I can take care of myself. Uh, but I was telling some other friends of mine about this. I was like, I'm glad Clark wasn't there or like Eddie wasn't there or someone I care about wasn't there and that didn't happen to them because you do anything like that to my friends or people I'm in love with and I will fucking destroy you. Like, I think we talked about it before. It's like, I've, mm-hmm. I've been there where I've said and done some really horrible, horrible things that I'm ashamed of saying, but the moment that happens and I go into, like, Papa Bear status, like, I come out with guns blazing and I will make you want to go home and kill yourself because I'm that much of a bad person when you get me that angry. So, you know, when I saw this part where, like, the, the guy left, he's like, you know, I can't do it. Was like, I totally identified with that. Obviously not from... You know, from, from the, the color of my skin, because I'm, you know, I'm a white guy. But from that thing of like, I know where that anger gets to, and I almost think, in this sense, I kind of applaud that decision to step out because he knew he would become a liability if he did stay. And I think that that's something that we, it, it's it's humbling to admit you can't do something. And a lot of times we try to push through and say, oh, I can't do this, whether it's with a job or the relationship with our mental health or whatever what's going on in our lives. Um, it can be disheartening to, to admit you can't do something but there's nothing wrong with that it just means you need to go find something that you have a strength in like he says like hey i'll make signs for you i'll help organize but i can't do this so if you can't do something find out where you can help and invest even more energy over there right and it's important not to police each other's activism you know oh, yeah. martin luther king jr needed malcolm x uh professor professor x needs magneto um, every movement needs different uh, parts of it that are doing different things and um, and we shouldn't judge each other based on what what we are each individually able to bring to that. Uh, I respect the hell out of uh, Antifa activists. Uh, that's not me. Um, I also respect the hell out of truly nonviolent people. That's probably also not me. I'm kind of in this weird middle gray Jedi area where like I'm gonna get angry and probably pop off and say something. <laughs> Uh, uh, but you know, but I'm not a violent person, so it's like, uh, but I'm not going to tell anyone their their approach is wrong because we need we need all of us. And um, one of the things that I think about incredibly with a, a lot with this is uh, one of the things that Martin Luther King said is that we are all knit together in a garment of mutuality, and that my struggles are as a white man are connected to the struggles of black men and they are uh connected to the struggles of workers 
and of women and uh, of the LGBTQ community and the environmental movement and every other thing. Um, we, we're all fighting for the same thing, which is to try and make our lives a little bit easier against people who um, are trying to oppress us in one way or another. And uh, the, the sooner we can all figure that out and, and try and show up for one another, I think the, the sooner we're, we're all going to get some stuff done, which, uh, which is what I, what I am hoping is happening. You know, I hope so, too. So yeah. where I work, I'm, I supervise a few people. And there, it's quite a melting pot as I've got a bunch of um, Kurds that have been working for me for a long time. There's some Hispanics. I've got some Syrians as well. And then I have an old German immigrant who recently retired. But there's, um, it's interesting to watch as you watch them having it be man, woman, having it be a West Valley white boy or someone born. And my uh, German guy, his uh, birth certificate had a swastika on it because he immigrated from Germany and he's in his 70s. And that's just part of where it was. Or you have people quite recently from Syria and the Damascus area fleeing that. I even have another guy that came from Baghdad. At the end of the day, the difference is there might be a difference in geography. There might be a difference in melanin. But they've got families, they have hopes, they have dreams and worries. And of all our minute differences, the similarities just trump all of that. And it's interesting to watch it is you've got, and I have a fair amount of Vietnamese too, is more often than not when there are larger disagreements it seems to be within the own culture because they're the ones talking to each other but he, I even have older guys and having a conversation with them it's like you know you might have your culture outside of this workplace but going where you can and says this is the workplace culture here it's like in your family the women might do the cleaning and the cooking but here you clean up after yourself and here everyone gets treated with respect and here everyone has a right to feel safe. And it's interesting who I've written up and had to let go, which kind of surprises me in my own way. And here I am, the uh, big white guy boss, for lack of a better term. Scary oh, boss, too. Dude, I walked in with you. With the RBF really funny. with me is fantastic. So people who knows me well <laughs> think I'm just this goofball. But my resting bitch face is awesome. You know, it's funny. It's like my my username on Netflix is RBF. I mean, I, I thought it was resting boss face. Yeah, it's see. I also tell people um, Todd like boss are just different four letter words, <laughs> which is a very true thing. Well, same with cunt. <laughs> you know, all may apply at times. I'm not denying any of that. But watching people and going through and even in my own way and you know and they behave differently when I'm around versus when I'm not and I who I write up it doesn't surprise me because individuals are individuals it's people behave differently or it's like well I'm sorry I just can't help myself and I'm like you know if I was standing right here would you have done this and they're like well no I'm like then you know you can better. help yourself yeah. and you can help yourself and you know better which means you're choosing to do so and you're gonna have to make those choices somewhere else and it's really interesting to watch. My head HR guy, he's a recent graduate from college, but he um, he's Vietnamese. He's got immigrant parents. I mean, English is not his first language. 
But even at the end of the day, he's like, you know, it's like just some people don't learn or it's a painful lesson. And it's to cross the pool. So sometimes things may evolve a little bit and hopefully we're evolving in the right way and getting there not fast enough. But it's... Um, I believe story, that until about 18 months ago. The um, There's a few steps back. But the struggle might... This book is every bit as viable today, if not more so, than when the events happened. And it's it's right there, and it's it's a painful read because I think part of the pain of it is it's still so relevant, and that's what makes it hurt. Todd for Congress, twenty twenty. <laughs> well, what, what book did we talk about? It was a couple months ago, where it was kind of the same thing, and I was saying the book pissed me off because we didn't learn this is still happening mm-hmm. and you know as much as it's in our lifetimes we've we've never known segregation we've, i mean we've known we've seen it, we've heard about it we've kind of seen it happen in like small communities we didn't know like a time when there was a separate drinking fountain for black people there was a separate mm-hmm. bathroom um what always kind of reminds me is like so our parents and grandparents were alive during this this is like this is less than one generation ago right so we're, we're talking about events mm-hmm. that happened you know, for me, 20 years before I was born, which scares the crap out of me to think about that because, you know, I was born in 1980. I think so. If I was 20 years older or, you know, 25 years older, and we always say, oh, well, if I had lived back then, I would have behaved differently. And that's an easy thing to say when you weren't there. It wasn't how you were raised and it wasn't what you were steeped in. It wasn't, you mm-hmm. know, back to me saying, hey, this is what God thinks about people of different skin color. Um, and then God happens to agree with exactly my thoughts. Exactly, which is so, it's, it's so convenient of God to do that. Isn't she nice? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> because Alanis Morissette's God. So if you haven't seen Dogma, yes, yes. go for that. Was it, was it Fogtown? <laughs> Might have been Fogtown. Yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going back to look yeah. and see what it means. Uh, but no, it, just, it, it pisses me off that we, we haven't learned. And if anything, it seems like with the powers that be right now, people are becoming more brazen about it and the one thing i've said before is that and i will agree with is that the, the these sentiments and the racism we're seeing nowadays that's being publicly spoken about it had always been there and it's flaring up to the surface it's coming to the surface it's like you know like how a, a boil comes to a head it's like and so as much as it's disgusting to see it at least now it's something we can address because before people were afraid to say how they feel now they feel emboldened by you know chido benito on power so mm-hmm. That's a way we can strike that down. I mean, we're seeing like there's that guy who chased a guy down and started calling the M word because he cut him off. Um, he yeah. lost his business. He lost all of his customers, and now he's saying that's unfair. I'm like, oh, honey, oh, Alexa, play that's what you get by Paramore. Thank you, dear. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and you have John Lewis still being a badass motherfucker, uh, still leading sit-ins. Right. Uh, you know, he he went and led a sit-in with a bunch of members of Congress about the the family separation crisis, which we still haven't solved. Mm-hmm. There's still kids separated from their parents. They're still in cages, uh, and we saw him uh, lead a sit-in on the floor of the House last year. Uh, and he keeps talking about voting rights. We, you know, one of the saddest things about all of this is that. At the end of all of this, it's like we ended up with the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, and that should have been the end of it. Uh, But a couple of years ago, the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act. And that's part of the reason we're seeing voter suppression flare up, uh, specifically in places here like where I live in Texas, 
Um, but you hear about these voter purges that are hitting mostly African-American households uh, and young people, people who have to show up with, uh, with driver's licenses to vote. Uh, and it just so happens that it's the, the poor and the elderly uh, and college students who are least likely to have those forms of government ID. Um, you know, this is, you know, the, the past is prologue. Um, history is repeating itself. And um, we have the tools to fix this, and we just don't seem to be able to. Um, and I have hope that we will, but you know, we're we're at about a hundred days uh, from from an election, and we'll we'll see what happens. I have well, drinks. You're bringing me <laughs> down, man. <laughs> I think we're ready for that. Well, real quick, I just wanted to say, uh, yeah. you know, I've, I'd heard about a bunch of you know the stuff that that happened, and it doesn't really have as much of an impact just hearing about it as opposed to visually kind of seeing it in a storytelling form. It's completely Mm -hmm. different. Uh, Yeah, that's... Yeah, it's far more powerful if it brings... They always talk about bringing history to life and all sorts of stuff. There's always these conversations about museums and all sorts of things, bringing history to life and whatnot. Like, there's something about that, but there's also something about following a a, a real-life individual, their experience through this that really brings things to light. You know what I mean? And and the the other thing I like like about this book, too, that at least as far as the first volume goes, I'm assuming it carries through the the other three volumes because he doesn't seem to, uh, you know be that kind of guy is it's not a story it's not like a dan brown story where he's like trying to conveniently place him in all these key factors you know what i mean like he wasn't at the greensboro sit-ins but he was planning on doing at the same time and flat out admits that you know what i mean whereas in another writer's hands potentially you would have a character if they were a fictionalized character who would be at all of these things you know what i mean like like forrest gump yeah they'd be like (laughs) exactly yeah it would be the forrest gump thing of like you happen to have the guy who happens to meet all the key players at the right time and happens to be all oh yes he does this and then he gets on a bus and goes and does this and then he goes and does this and then he goes you know i mean like no he doesn't do that like it's a flat out honest tale of like we were gonna do our sit-in and these guys beat us to it and not angry at them being to it they started it so we're gonna jump right on and we're gonna continue on that momentum you know i mean that kind of thing um like I, I kind of i think that also helps you know make it feel more real as well and and bring it more to life you know um i think this would be an amazing thing for like um school reading project oh completely i mean my wife happens to be an educator in the education field and she would love to do it but i could also see the absolute backlash and uprising that would occur unfortunately in the neighborhood too of going you're letting my darling angel witness this well i fully intend on buying these comics and sending them to my nieces and nephews who lived out of texas good that's fully gonna happen absolutely (laughs) yeah necessary completely yep behold mr we finally fulfill the second half of our title and make with the fire water Mr. Adam, you said you had a cocktail. Uh, yeah, this one's called, uh, may I speak to the manager, please? Because this one you're going to go home and enjoy after going out and fighting for your rights and winning the battle. So you take uh, three ounces of dark rum, one ounce of a ginger liqueur, a splash of orange juice, two to three pinches of ground cardamom. So that's kind of the thing from two weeks ago, winning cardamom as well. 
Uh, you put that in a shaker with ice, shake it out, and you strain it into a glass with ice, and then you put in two slightly crushed mint leaves and garnish with an orange slice. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds lovely. Yeah. A little bit spicy. It's a little bit spicy, spicy, but refreshing. and yeah. yeah. Just like Adam. I try. I'm going to jump in with mine. I just kind of went with the southern kind of thing because a lot of this takes place in the south. Uh, mine is a sweet tea mint julep. It combines the two, um, you know, very southern drinks. Uh, this also, this makes four of them. So you can either drink four by yourself, or share two with a friend, or share them with a bunch of people. Who knows? What's your call? Um, what you're going to do is you have two cups of water, one cup of sugar, five to six mint leaves, two family-sized tea bags, um, three cups of water, three-fourths to one cup of bourbon, crushed ice, lemon slices, and mint sprigs. Uh, you bring two cups of water to a boil, uh, or let's see, bring two cups of water, sugar, mint leaves to a boil on a medium saucepan and serving until they dissolve in the sugar. Remove from heat and add the tea bags. Steep for about five minutes. Remove the tea bags and add three cups of cold water. Refrigerate until ready to serve. Add the bourbon to the tea mixture. Fill the glass with crushed ice and tea mixture. Um, and garnish with lemon and mint and squeeze uh, lemon into the drink if desired. Mr. Andy, do you have a drink for us? Uh, so one of my favorite things to do uh, would be to go and uh, watch Fantasmic and enjoy a mint julep at Disneyland. Uh, so in in order to help you stay hydrated while marching, uh, take six ounces of frozen lemonade concentrate, three ounces of limeade concentrate, uh, four teaspoons of creme de menthe syrup, not the liqueur, just or the liqueur if you want to uh, spice it up. Uh, mix and combine with club soda and or water to taste. Garnish with mint leaves and maraschino cherries. Enjoy. I wonder if the Disneyland mint julep recipe actually is out there because I always thought it was like sort of a minty sprite, but I'm sure. Yeah, I tried to find it. This was yeah. this was the mix that I found to be as close as possible I, okay. I think yeah you could just take Sprite and add creme de menthe and uh, maraschino cherries and be fine <laughs> okay but I've always wondered about yeah. that because that hmm. that is a very because t- like, for those of you who don't know Disneyland or are going to Disneyland and seeing Fantasmic there is a restaurant right next to the Haunted Mansion called oh. I don't remember what it is. But on the back side, so like if you go towards where the train station is, on the back side, there's a little mint julep bar and you can get right. beignets there as well, which are also very good. They're, uh, you know, French donuts. They're basically like, you know, a ball of dough fried and then dipped in sugar, powdered sugar. It's really good. Um, but uh, yeah, getting mint juleps and uh, and beignets from there is, uh, I had a, an ex-girlfriend who that was her tradition every time I went to Disneyland and I've sort of carried that on for myself as well. Yeah, we would, I'd always get the, the Aunt Polly's chicken at that restaurant, whatever that was called. I can, yeah, so there you go. Um, but yeah, I can't remember the name of that restaurant either. That one that's really good to watch Fantasmic from. That one. I think it's actually like called the French Market, I might think, be. maybe. Or it might be something Tom Sawyer related. I don't now. remember. Something. Uh, they've changed everything so often, it's not even funny. And then, um, Mr. Maya, do you have a cocktail for us? I do. I, I looked this up. Uh, I found this drink. It was... It's, also, it's a dry Manhattan, but it looks like uh, it was also called a Martin Luther King. Okay. Uh, it's two ounces of Canadian whiskey, one ounce dry vermouth, two dashes of Angostura bitters, a lemon twist. Uh, fill a shaker with ice and add the whiskey, vermouth, and bitters. Stir vigorously until the outside of the shaker is cold. Strain into a cocktail glass and twist lemon over and drop it in. Uh, Mr. Todd, do you have a cocktail for us? 
Yeah, the one I found is called the Alabama Slammer. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh, that sounds like it'll probably fuck you up. <laughs> That's a fairly famous drink, actually. It is a fairly but I was looking through here. So this one's got an ounce of Southern Comfort, an ounce of Amaretto, an ounce of Slow Gin, and two ounces of OJ. So get a cocktail shaker, fill up, up halfway with ice cubes, then you add all the ingredients, shake the shit out of it, and fill a highball glass with the ice and strain the mixture into it. Garnish with a cherry and an orange wheel. And yeah, there's your Southern Comfort Alabama Slammer. I'll, I'll give you an ounce of Southern Comfort. <laughs> you are from Texas. That is Southern Comfort. I am. Mm. It had been a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a long pour. <laughs> It'll be a loving spoonful. Hello. Which is, incidentally, for those of you who are into classic Xerox, where that band's title came from, just so you know. That, uh, uh, Hot Time, Summer in the City, and Do You Believe in Magic song actually mm-hmm. came from a band with a really dirty name. So just, you know, keep that in mind when your grandmother's letting you listen to that song on the radio. Um, just to ruin it for you. Burst the bubble to my brother in law that the Doobie Brothers were into drugs. And he's like, oh, oh, what? What? How? No way. Um, oh, I, I love the naivety of this kid. It is fantastic. Well, and the Steely Brothers is from... Uh, Steely Dan. Steely Dan from, from uh, Barbarella yeah. was the name of a... Yeah, yeah Steely Dan's a, a vibrator. Yeah. So, yeah. That's what it was, yeah. I had a, I had a friend who made a, a country band called Jakey Chester based on the same idea, except it was made out of wood <laughs> because they're Western. So they... <laughs> Ouch. We'll also say I was able to take this uh, 18-year-old at the time brother-in-law Snipe hunting for the first time. <laughs> oh, nice. He bought it. Wow. It was like, That's is he just fun. playing around? No, he wasn't playing along. He really thought we were snipe hunting for the first And I'm just like, <laughs> at one time, I just kind of walk away. He's like, what? We're not going to find the snipes? And I'm like, I, just, I, I have nothing. What you should have done is taken him back. Uh-huh. When you were done, you're like, ah, oh, we didn't find any. And then make him watch that episode of King of the Hill where they take the kids snipe hunting. Or uh, the first episode of Doug. Oh yeah. yeah, it's not snipes though in that one. What do they call it? Nematodes. Nematodes. <laughs> I can't believe I remember that. That's that's an impressive pull from the back of the brain. So, but, uh, I will yeah. never forget this. At my job, I worked out a long time ago. Uh, we had a really really devout LDS guy uh, who worked there, and I completely ruined his life because um, he didn't realize what the lyrics to "Relax" by Frankie Goes to Hollywood actually meant. <laughs> and I was like. No, it's dirty. He's like, no, it's not. It's just, I'm like, okay, say it slowly. It's like, oh, oh, oh my god, I've been singing that my whole life. It's like, and he, like, he literally felt guilty that he like liked that song. I'm like, That's dude, fantastic. you are repressed. <laughs> yes. Welcome to Utah. Did you tell him about turning Japanese by the Vegas? Yeah. No, we didn't get that far because he actually he's the one who had a picture of the prophet above his computer so it wouldn't look at porn. Oh yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, you don't need to. When you got old Spencer W. Kimball staring back at you, you don't need Just, any porn when you got that. No, no, dead, no. Sh- dead shark eyes like a doll's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, does anybody else have anything they want to discuss on this book before we go to final grades? I'd like to announce my run for Congress crazy. after saying all these things. <laughs> uh, you okay. have my vote. That's my recommendation this week, Andy, for Congress. Yeah, Andy for Congress. Well, then let's jump into overall grades. Jamie, school is never a waste of time. Since we have 15 minutes until recess, please put down your pencils and stare at the front of the room. 
It's report card time. It's report card time. It's report card time. I'm so fucking bummed. God, please, no! 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 Uh, so for our writer, uh, John Lewis and Andrew Iden, um, what is your grade, Mr. Todd? You know, it's an A. It's a very personal story, yet it comes across as um, there's an honesty and a genuine to it that you buy right into instantly. You can totally relate. It flows really well, and I read it straight through, and it was, um, you know, I want I want to say masterfully executed. And hey, yeah, um, in some ways, with it though, I, I this is kind of like the um Spielberg movie of the um Schindler's List. I'm really glad I'm reading this, it's important, it's something I really do recommend, but it's it's, it's gonna be a tough thing to go back to. No, I agree with that, and uh, I was inspired to buy the other two books to finish off this series, because I want to read the whole thing, Um, Mm -hmm. but I agree with you. It's one of those things where, like, much like Schindler's List, I don't understand people who own a copy of Schindler's List, like, how often are you really going to be able to watch that movie, and if you can watch that movie a lot, there's something wrong with you, Um, but... uh, As I see Adam looking at his Blu-ray shelf to see if he has it. (laughs) I think he did, actually. (laughs) As soon as you said that, his head... Well, like, logically speaking, like, my mom bought the VHS of that when it came out, and we watched it once, and I don't think we ever watched it again unless we had to do a report for school. You know I mean? That was it. You know right. what I mean? Which is fine. This is a book that I want to have on my shelf, A, because, I mean, it may be important to revisit it again in the future if I want to, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a refresher course on a little bit of the uh, uh, civil rights movement and or, you know. Or you could just watch, Fox. Or you just watch Fox News. Well, I won't even get into that depressing thing. No, uh, no don't engage. But, uh, <laughs> see, nonviolence. I'm not engaging. Uh, but also, I mean, this is a book that if you know someone comes over and visits and they you know are looking for something interesting to read, something that I could, well, having the book on my shelf will be a nice reminder to recommend it to somebody else. Um, you know, and that yeah. kind of thing. And so, this would definitely be one I'd be very happy to say, like, oh, I'm not sure what I should read. I would pull this out and say, read yeah. this. And you know, like read this, come back to me. And it's it's also it's like it falls very much into like the memoir kind of yeah. territory. No, in fact, this would have been a great uh, addition to our uh, our true story month we did about like I think last year. One where all our listeners left. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was going to say, just wait to see how many listeners drop off after this month. <laughs> I don't think that I don't, I don't think we have much problem with that to be honest. No. With you, because here's the thing: in general, a comic books are a niche market flat out that's what it's going to be so i don't really necessarily worry about that too much but also most comic book readers like stories like characters and are fairly empathetic individuals so i feel like they're already going to be because they're empathetic people they're not necessarily racist people like i don't know a lot of racist comic book fans granted i live in southern california which is very liberal so that could be whatever I don't know, it could be. Stephen miller came from southern california so he's gonna no i just it, but <laughs> be fair, I mean, Orange County is is very red. Actually, I yeah. mean, a lot of the Democrats are up in, in more in LA County. Um, I'm always surprised by that, but it, it's it's technically it's true. But um, of all the horrible things we've said, if they haven't left before, they're not going to leave. You know what I mean? I, I'm so more expecting that. them to be like, so, you know, I really like this podcast, but that Andy Wilson guy. I've had enough of him. I'm coming back in a month. 
<laughs> I'm not sure about him. Oh, no, no. What's going to happen is next month when there's no Andy, we're going to lose uh-huh. everybody. That's going to be the problem. We're going to have to, like, we're going to have to absorb you into the fold, like the Borg. I, I look forward to my new funny cast and or funny books and Firewater Overlords. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, uh, report for your Overlords. What is your grade for uh, Oh, yeah. Uh, a, same reasons Todd gave, uh, just a great memoir. Uh, and, I mean, who better to tell their own story than you? So, yeah. Uh, it's like, you sucked at telling your story, John Lewis. Yeah, no. Hey. I mean, there are people who suck at telling their own story. This is not the case. But, there, I mean, I've read him, you know. I've also read amazing books. Like, Papillon is, like, an amazing book if you ever have a chance to read it. Like, fascinating book. I just saw there's a new movie coming out about it, so now I'm very fascinated by it. But uh, have you ever read that book, anybody? Am I the only one? No, I'm not. Also, okay, so here's the thing with Papillon. Um, it's fascinating because what it was is the guy who wrote it, this is his true story, he escaped from basically the French version of Alcatraz, snuck over to South America, ended up living with a native tribe there for a while, got married, ended up leaving the tribe, going back to uh, France, living in exile for a while, whatever, or he was hiding around like in South America, whatever. He decided that, like, so he was telling a story to someone, they said, you know, your story would be very interesting, you should write it down. Well, he decided, like, you know what, I'm like, He's like, I'm not a writer. So he just wrote his notes down, basically just told his story, figured he'd send it to a publisher in France, and they would find a real writer to write it. And what ended up happening is, is that they published it. But so the thing is, is the where all the pay, the chapter breaks are is where he filled up a, uh, a school notebook. So basically, he would write a notebook, he'd fill it up with his story, and then... And then he would write the next book, next book, and he sent these notebooks off. But the chapter breaks are literally just where he ran out of pages writing. And so the publisher got them, started reading, and was like, this is amazing by itself. And so other than a few spelling corrections, they made next to no changes. So it's this guy basically telling a story, kind of just matter of fact, not really embellishing, thinking that someone else is going to clean it up. And it's what, part of what makes it so fascinating and interesting. It's very readable, very interesting, but it's just very much like, yeah, this is what happened. You know what I mean? It's very, very interesting, very cool. So anyway... We're not in recommendations. We're in grades. So, uh, Mr. Adam, what is your grade for our writers? Uh, a, for all the same reasons we already discussed. So, Okay. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm going to go with a, an A as well. Uh, Mr. Maya? And I'm going to also go with an A for all the same reasons. <laughs> okay. Well, then, for our artist, uh, Nate Powell, what is your grade, Mr. Andy? Uh, you know, again, I'm not an art person, so maybe maybe I'm being too mean here, but I, I thought the art sometimes left a, a little bit to be desired, um, but it got the job done, and it was effective in a lot of places, so B+. Plus. I'm going to sit right there with you as a B as well. Like, I mean, it's it's not the greatest art I've ever seen, but it's actually it's really good. It tells the story really well. Um, it's, uh, it's clear, and, uh, you know, it, it makes... I mean, I think it does a really good job, so I actually really like it. Um, and uh, I actually added another book from this same artist onto my uh, queue of books that I want to read, my my list, of, my ever-growing list of books to look into um, based on this recommendation. So um, I think B-plus is what I think I'm agreeing on. Uh, Mr. Todd. No, I can give it an A-minus, B-plus. The, um, there's a simplicity to the art. It's not super detailed, but it sure portrays the emotion of the characters incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go back to that sequence of you've got him and his uncle driving up on north going where do we stop or do we want just talking about the tension and you could just see it so palpable right on their faces palpatine palpatine <laughs> on their faces much like the chickens <laughs> really dirty much like the chickens much like the chickens 
<laughs> and now Palpatine on their faces is going on that list. <laughs> um, so yeah, but A minus B plus. It's a it's a memoir. It's black and white, but the shadings of gray, and it doesn't feel nearly. So, it doesn't feel like a Sunday comic memoir. Either. Yeah. Sometimes a lot of those memoirs goes in, and it feels like I'm reading Mary Worth or something for quite a bit. And it's not that at all. It really plays with format and layout, and some panels are really dark, some are really light. It really um, changes things up and visually keeps it interesting. And it does a really good job of that. So yeah, that's right. Mr. Adam. Since I'm coming in third and fourth, I'd be blessed for the same reasons you guys already said. So. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Maya, did I ask you already? You didn't, but I'm in a B plus as well. Okay. Um, I, I just couldn't remember. I apologize. Uh, cool. Then we will go with overall grade, since Mr. Adam keeps getting left in the cold. Mr. Adam, what is your grade overall? <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go with an A. Uh, I said there's, there's, this is a story that you know I think we need to make sure we're paying attention to or we're doomed to repeat. Uh, it's we all kind of know the basics of the of the civil rights movement and where it came from and <clears throat> kind of what these what people went through. But I think it's being able to see it in a visual format from someone who lived through it and someone who is still making progress today and trying to bring and we're still working on equality we haven't gotten there yet uh makes it very poignant and important story that we all should be paying attention to and looking at uh it's it's entertaining read you know i it, i didn't really know much about it at first i just knew when i saw the cover that like, okay i'm assuming what it's going towards uh but it was really interesting to see like the sit-ins and see just the the vast amount of inequity that was happening back then that um we still need to fix nowadays so it's an important again I'm, I'm with todd it's like it's one i probably won't want to read over and over again but it's one that I'm really glad that I did read and one that I think everyone should. Awesome. Uh, Mr. Maya? Uh, I'm at an A. Uh, I think everyone should read this. Whether it makes you uncomfortable or not, you should still read this to get a sense of history. Uh, yeah, no, it's a wonderful book. Uh, cool. Mr. Todd? Yeah, it's an A. Um, I will also go with an A uh, with everybody else. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's definitely a, a great book to in general just to have read i'm very excited for it um and mr andy yeah uh a and of course if you don't give this book an a you're a racist come on no uh, no on, on top of all of this i think the best <laughs> the best thing I, I can say about this this book is it made me really want to read chapters two and three and uh that yeah. is <laughs> the sign of a, a great comic yeah completely i while we were sitting here having this conversation, I ordered them, so they will be here shortly. Fantastic. Uh, before we get into recommendations next week, we will continue on our Andy Wilson month uh, with The Century. Um, Maya sort of basically briefly discussed it a little bit beforehand. Uh, Andy, you want to give a little bit of a preview of it? Sure. This is the story of the greatest Marvel hero you've never heard of, a... Uh... A, a character, the Sentry. He has the power of a thousand exploding suns, and for some reason, no one remembers him. And uh, this is a great book. It deals a lot with uh, mental health and substance abuse, and uh, mixes this great Silver Age tone with uh, some really serious uh, 2000-esque angst. So, uh, I, I love this book, and I have a uh, a personal story of uh, about this um, of the first time I read this story, which will make this a doubly Andy Wilson story. So uh, be prepared for that. So the power awesome. of a thousand exploding suns, huh? Uh, yes. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Okay. okay. Um, <laughs> never mind. 
Go, go, shoot, go on. <laughs> go on. Now I'm, just, now I'm just sitting here letting the, the awkwardness just, yeah. you know, soak upon you, Adam. I'll just take my headphones off and walk out of this room, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I'll do it. Uh, cool. Does anybody have any recommendations they would like to I go do. with? Okay. So my favorite TV show of all time just uh, got put up on Amazon Prime about a month ago. Uh, and I'm not recommending it necessarily because it's my favorite TV show. Uh, and, and I'm talking about Babylon 5. Uh, going back to what a lot of, you know, we kept saying how relevant this book is today. Uh, a lot of Babylon 5 is, is very relevant to what's today. It's almost like a J. Michael Straczynski, who, who created and, and wrote the majority of the episodes, had a crystal ball uh, into the future what would be going on 20 years from from when the show started uh it deals with a lot of things from political issues to social issues to all sorts of things and uh yeah it gets a lot of flack uh you know, the the cg and it is is very dated the first season is is very 90s uh it was still find, trying to find its feet but uh it reaches a point in season two uh, especially seasons two through four, there are five total, where it starts to deal with a bunch of civil unrest back on Earth, and it leads to to a lot of stuff that's very hauntingly similar to what's going on today. So if you want to watch a show that ends up that's not only wonderfully written and, and has a very definite beginning, middle, and end, uh, but also something that is rooted in a lot of relevance to today. Check out Babylon 5. Mr. Todd, do you have any recommendations? I'm trying to remember the exact title. It's a documentary on Netflix. I think it's called Juneteenth. Yeah, that's, not, that's right. Yeah. Um, it is related with this book, and it's just um, going through about uh, not just cultural racism, but also um, systemic and organizational racism of the United States and its history on how oftentimes we might change the nouns, but the actions remain the same. Mm-hmm. So if you ever want another load of going, wow, we um, there is a problem that continue needs fixing today and to recognize the history of it, you should really watch Juneteenth on Netflix. Okay. Uh, Mr. Adam, do you have a recommendation? So I have one. I don't think it's out quite yet. It was one I saw at the the Damnies Hills Film Festival a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was the opening movie. It was a documentary called Quiet Heroes. And I think I picked up by Netflix or someone already because I remember seeing that it was a logo attached to it. Uh, but basically it was telling you the story of when the AIDS crisis hit Utah back in the 80s. Oh, really? Now, okay. Salt Lake City thought, oh, because we're not in New York, we're not in San Francisco that this isn't going to happen to us, and then it happened quickly, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this documentary, uh, it's a little bit problematic because it tries to tell too many stories at once, but the main focus are on these two doctors, who uh, two female doctors up here in Utah, who were the only doctors in Utah that would treat AIDS patients at like, the height of the AIDS crisis. And it interviews them, kind of follows their story, uh, that there was they were working out of this, uh, this uh, Catholic, uh, it was like the the hospital, the sacred nun or something like that, or sacred virgin um, Catholic hospital and the nuns were helping them out and weren't basically weren't charging them for bringing patients in. And there's this whole charity thing set up and how, uh, how like the LDS religion reacted to it. And then later on when uh, we started getting like the AZT antiretroviral drugs and this and that, and 
interviewed local people here, like we are, like who who are alive back then. Some people who are survivors of AIDS. Some people who were just lived through. Like we have Jim Debacus, who's one of our senators, uh, was was in the movie prominently, discussing like you know friends he lost back then. And so, you know, as we talked about with this book, it's like kind of reminding us what happened back then. Uh, much for LGBT youth nowadays is that with prep and with just taking a pill a day, you can pretty much if you get HIV, it's not it's not a life threatening problem anymore. Um, it's a piece of history that was forgotten. And most people don't know about it, or most people aren't even aware how it decimated a, a generation of gay people. So it was really cool because it showed these women who were really passionate about taking care of people and like and interviewing people who are alive. Just like you know, they came up and they gave me a hug, and like no one even touched me back then. That just meant so much. So uh, called Quiet Heroes. I, it should be coming up on streaming pretty soon. Uh, but keep an eye out for it because it was really really good. And then uh, my recommendation, not nearly as deep as any of the other recommendations, but. Um, if you happen to be in California and you're looking for something interesting touristy to do, I took uh, Todd and his wife Amy on the uh, Warner Brothers Backlot Studio Tour, mm-hmm. and it was actually pretty damn fun, I have to say. It was cool. Um, yeah, like, uh, it has... The Universal Studios Backlot Tour, when I was younger, I used to love it because I, I love the... I'm, I'm an old-time movie buff, which almost led to my second recommendation, but I'm not 100% on it yet, so I'll talk to Adam and Andy off-air because it definitely something they might be interested in but but they've sort of the universal studios tour kind of lost its sense of the history of the the studio and now it's just trying to advertise big blockbusters and whatever and it's not for me it's not as much fun because I, I do like the history of hollywood and whatnot uh Warner brothers studio tour still has a pretty good sense of their history and um the tour is pretty fun you actually get to get out and walk around a few places if you're a fan of shows like uh the gilmore girls which uh, todd's wife amy is there's a little bit certain things you know that you can go uh you know you can go take pictures at a famous gazebo apparently todd probably knows more about that than i do but they have the gazebo there i want to live in stars hollow how do i do well this? it's uh, it's all this facades so uh we've we've, mm-hmm. we've driven through it. it um we also uh uh the, what was the other show that it's uh, also they pretty had little people? liars is the same town yeah pretty little liars is the same town but also in that same area todd there was another they had sets up from another show that you've actually watched remember what it was oh, they had, like, shameless the, the pie shop shameless they had yeah, a bunch of stuff up from shameless, shameless as, well. as well and yeah so, so yeah. real quick, funny story about that, uh, uh-huh. the tour there. Um, there's an episode, I believe it's season four or five of Supernatural called The French Mistake, which is named uh-huh. after the bit in Blazing Saddles where every, oh, yeah. where they run around basically the studio beating the shit out of each mm-hmm. other. Um, mm-hmm. The two main characters end up getting, going through a portal and they end up in the real world, our world. And sure. they're... And uh-huh. they're you know, people are recognizing them as as the actors, and they're like, "Huh?" Uh, but there's a part mm-hmm. where they're on the studio tour there, and you hear the tour guide say something like, "You know, up, up on the left, you can see where Gilmore Girls was filmed." And Jared Padalecki was on Gilmore Girls. Is like, "We got to get out of here." <laughs> <laughs> That's fine, but yeah, but so it's um, so it's uh, for that I really liked it. It was fun for the geek factor of it. They have um, a bunch of different Batmobiles and a bunch of different things that way. They have uh, like they have a, a Justice League exhibit, which was kind of okay. The Harry Potter stuff I thought was a lot cooler, um, and uh, yeah, but it was I, it was fun. I, I, we paid for the basic. Oscar was there the Casablanca Oscar was there? There's a lot of their Oscars are there are pretty cool. There's uh there's some fun stuff there. They had. Uh, uh, costumes from Casablanca, costumes from Rebel Without a Cause, which is one of my, my favorite movies. Lady. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like a lot of uh, stuff, like a lot of really cool stuff. The gay version. We sat on the couch. The gay version was called My Fairy Lad. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we also got to sit on the couch from season 10 of Friends, which was pretty fun. 
Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, so if you happen to be in the LA area and looking for something touristy to do, it's actually pretty darn fun. I would actually recommend it. We had a good time there. Also, yeah. we went to a faux place nearby that was freaking amazing called Mama Hong's. So was good. Fantastic. Yeah, super and good. Priced very reasonably. Yes. Yeah, but really, really good. It's in downtown uh, Burbank. Really, really good. So uh, that- actually, they, they just opened up a noodle place up here, a ramen bar called Jinya. They actually have them in LA too, mm-hmm. but they, there's one up here in Sugar House that just opened up, and that was they're really, really good as well. Cool. All right, I'll check it out. And uh, Mr. Andy, do you have any recommendations for us? I do. Um, go register to vote, people. I, I mean, the the real hook with all of this. I'm gonna I'm gonna lay some truth on you real quick. Um, over 50% of voters are over the age of 55. But people over the age of 65 make up only 28% of the population. Now, these numbers might be a little bit off, but just follow me here. The single biggest group of eligible voters in the United States of America right now are people age 18 to 35. If only people under the age of 45 had voted in 2016, we would have vastly different outcomes. I mean, I, not. I mean, I, a fully uh, different Congress, even um, with super majorities. So, if and if every single person under the age of 45 voted at the same rate of people over 55 did we could have that same outcome. So please go register to vote. There's less than 100 days to the election. In most places, it's very easy. If you're already registered to vote, find two or three friends and make sure they do it too. Because that's how we fix all of this. You want to fix the Voting Rights Act? It's really simple. They could do it on day one, but we can't do it unless we will be the change to make that happen. Uh, so, so that's a recommendation. Awesome. From that, yeah. So, so next week we will be doing the century, and continue on our Andy Wilson month. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Wilson. Uh, and I think that'll do it for us. Unless anybody else has anything. I'm nope, Andy Wilson, and I approve this podcast. Awesome. We appreciate it. <laughs> and of course, now he can't run for office because he's approved of us. But, that's right. Uh, so, so real quick, Andy, what you're saying is that we're the spark that will light the fire that will burn the First Order? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're no. going to win, Maya. Manny Bothans will do oh, that. Yes. <laughs> Manny Bothans is pure genius. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> you said it. Uh, my favorite thing. I didn't even edit that down. That's the thing. It's just out of context. That's all. Um, so basically, anyway. you're, you're conservative Christian quoting the Bible. I got you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Way to go. Pretty much. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Love you. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. This band of knuckleheads will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Funny Books and Firewater. And on Twitter as at FirewaterCast. Go to FunnyBooksAndFirewater.com for the most up-to-date information. As well as cocktail recipes from this and past episodes. Thank you for joining us. 
And until next week, support your local comic shop. Tip your bartender well. And stay hydrated.